Welcome to the Good to Growth podcast on Nonprofit Hub Radio. I'm your host, Katie Appled. I'm the executive director of Do More Good and Nonprofit Hub. One of my favorite job duties is hosting this podcast. Each week, I get to talk to nonprofit leaders, influencers, and innovators who are changing the sector. You see, we know that you're already doing good. We've designed this podcast to help nonprofits who are doing good to find new ways and new resources to grow. So tune in weekly, spread the news, and share the resources we share with you. We look forward to helping you move from good to growth. We'd like to thank Act Blue Charities for sponsoring today's episode of the Good to Growth podcast. Act Blue Charities offers cutting-edge fundraising tools so you can harness the power of grassroots online fundraising. Act Blue Charities tools are available at no cost, and their team of fundraising experts is always there to help. Learn more about Act Blue Charities' easy-to-use platform at actblue.com/abcharities. That's actblue.com/abcharities. only thing under more pressure than a nonprofit professional is their website. Our websites need to do so many things to be successful. They need to be resourceful and easy to navigate. They need to move quickly and they need to be accessible in every way possible. Today I'm talking to Cliff Prasad of Canopy Studios and he is going to share his expertise when it comes to all those trending things that may actually be more of a draw on your team and your bandwidth in every sense of the word than they are a boost to your traffic and to your audience. So if you are looking to ramp up your website or maybe just give it some design changes, you need to listen to this episode. Let's get started. So Cliff, tell our audience a little bit about yourself, about Canopy, how you work with nonprofits. So my name is Cliff Prasad. I am the creative services manager here at Canopy Studios. Um, We like to say that one of the things I help clients do is align their user needs and their internal business goals. And we like to create beautifully functional things for our nonprofit clients. One of the things that we try to do is we try to marry the the idea of strategy and design together so that we make database uh, design decisions. And so at the end of the day, what we're looking for is a product that satisfies users, but also meets the ROI of the clients. Uh, My background is a lot in the nonprofit space. I spent a lot of time in higher ed as well, and I'm kind of looking forward to having this conversation with you today. See, you, you know, both sides, you know, um, you know, the pain and you know, the, um, the ability to solve the pain, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that uh, I know is from a client side, you're always a little concerned about, will my budget get me the thing that I want? And from a user perspective, you're concerned about, will I be able to find the things that I want and get to the solutions I need, which is especially important for um, someone that's working in the nonprofit space. At Canopy, we'd like to take the idea that Our user-centric approach allows users to find the things that they want. And when users can find the things that they want, then clients get a return on their investment as well. Absolutely. Okay, so nonprofit websites, 
I feel like they run the gamut. I feel like sometimes um, I go to a website, I'm like, wow, how beautiful and simple and elegant. And I feel that way about our own site now um, that it's been redone. But I've also gone to, gone to nonprofit websites and, you know, they still don't fit the full screen and you're clicking on links that are broken and the imagery is fuzzy or it just looks out of date. What are some things that all websites, whether you have that big budget, whether you have that talent on your team, or you're just starting out, what are some basic things that all nonprofit websites should have to be beautiful and to be accessible? Well, I think, I think especially in the nonprofit space, but we can expand that further out. One of the things that happens in that space is the idea that something is evergreen, that we don't necessarily have the budget to actually do all of the things that we want. And one of the, the approaches that we take um, here at Canopy is this idea of iterative improvements to a product. So when we're looking at a site, we're looking at ways for our clients to make that improvement to their product without having to do a large investment. So what are the things, we like to call them quick wins here at Canopy, what are the things that we can do to a website to make it a little bit more of an interactive user experience or modernize it. Like you said, if it hasn't been updated since the 90s, what do we do to this thing? I think what gets you the biggest ROI is accessible, inclusive content. If you've got a website that is a little bit older and you find that some of the pathways that you hoped were being used by users are not being sort of utilized or exploited to their fullest benefit, take a look at your content. Look at how you can update your content to be more engaging. Look at the language that you're using. We're big here at Canopy of making sure that our content is accessible, but also inclusive. Doing things like including relevant imagery. Uh, we have a client currently, which is the Alameda County Food Bank, and we are looking at repositioning them from more of a food bank experience to more of a farmer's market experience. So we're looking at how to update their imagery so it doesn't feel as heavy. It doesn't, it feels like a light experience. So updating your imagery, figuring out what your messaging is going to be in your content, I think is one of those things that's incredibly, incredibly useful. Even if you have an older website, users engage in return for content. If we're looking at now, I'm going to use the scary word here, UX. Whenever I use UX in a nonprofit uh, scenario, we get a lot of people that are on board for UX, but there's also a little bit of trepidation of the cost of UX. And one of the things that you can do as a quick win is looking at your forms. Take a look at the primary ways that users are contacting or interacting with your organization and start to streamline those methodologies. Start to figure out how you can take those particular areas of contact and reduce friction, make it simpler, mm -hmm. remove form fields, things that aren't necessarily required for a user to accomplish their goals, look at streamlining some of that. And lastly, this one is a little bit on the other side of the coin, which is I would recommend that any nonprofit that is looking to update their experience, avoid chasing trends. I think trends are great. They come and they go, but having a solid foundation is always the good way to go about it. One of the ways that we look at building websites at Canopy is we look at building a house. And if you have a strong foundation on the house, what you put on top of that foundation will always be strong and robust and reliable. So I say to our clients, if you want something that looks cool, but is not necessarily as functional as it could be, 
let's find a mid ground. Let's find something that doesn't necessarily break the bank in terms of performance or doesn't require a lot of a lot of internal lift to actually get completed, but something that can resonate with your users across time. So if I had to pick two things, I tell all of our clients, accessible, inclusive content is the way to go. And relevant imagery, try to align your imagery to your messaging. And if I can expand upon that a little bit, um, there are some wonderful resources out there that are royalty-free imagery that you can use with attribution. Um, I'm going to say uh, Unsplash is a great place for our nonprofits to go and get really high quality imagery that they can use on their site as well without incurring the additional cost of having to purchase stock photography. Um, so those are the things that I think would be really important if a client has a limited budget, a limited amount of time or a limited amount of resources, but are looking to move the needle on their at their online product. All great advice. I'm going to add I'm going to add one bit of context for our listeners who might not know UX as user experience. Um, I think I think almost everybody knows that, but my mom might be listening and she doesn't. So um, the other thing I wanted to add, so I'm so glad you brought up Unsplash. I love, I love that website. The other one that so many of our members um, rave about is Canva. And Canva now has a a free nonprofit program. I'll make sure I put a link in the podcast notes, but another great resource. Hi, this is Kevin Burgess, the editor of the Good to Growth podcast. Your organization's mission is essential, which means your fundraising program is too. No one understands that better than Act Blue Charities. Act Blue Charities offers cutting-edge fundraising tools so you can harness the power of grassroots online fundraising. Their easy-to-use platform allows you to create donation forms you can send in an email or share on social media. That means when your mission resonates, your supporters can give in just a few clicks. You'll also have access to an intuitive dashboard that makes interpreting and downloading your contribution data easy. You can strengthen your recurring program, run simple A-B tests, and build a more informed relationship with your supporters. ActBlue Charities tools are available at no cost, and the team of fundraising experts is always there to help. So head over to actblue.com slash abcharities to get set up. That's actblue.com slash abcharities. One more time, actblue.com slash abcharities. Cliff, I love the things you told us to prioritize, accessibility always in everything we do, but you also cautioned that there's some trends that we maybe should stay away from. Can you loop us in? What what are some of those dazzling things that we should maybe hold off on including? So I think there's several, there's several categories of user experience that while they visually will engage a user, I think from an accessibility standpoint, from a performance standpoint, we may want to stay away from those. And so the top of my list, Parallax. I think any website that has Parallax, and for those of you that are not quite familiar with what Parallax is, it's elements that are sliding or moving in as the user interacts with the page. I would say that the the performance and accessibility of Parallax elements does not equate to the amount of investment that you have to do to create those elements. Um, I find that parallax can also be difficult for people that have um, movement issues or issues with things moving around the page. So one of the things that we do here at Canopy is the mantra that we have written is 
animation on interaction. So we like to keep animation to whenever the user is interacting with specific elements on the page. Um, so I would say parallax, probably the first thing. Carousels are something we also tend to minimize from a user experience perspective. Um, now, I know there's been some recent studies that have shown that carousels have become a little bit more accepted by users. But what we also find is that if you're going to use a carousel, include those accessibility controls if, you go, if you're going to implement that. And there is a little technical load that's required on that, but the accessibility gains and the, the SEO gains that you get from having something that is not necessarily constantly changing on your site is important. Now, we also know that there's the marketing side of things where you want to show all of the things before the fold. So if you do have to implement something like a carousel, there are ways that you can do it that would make it accessible and performative, but we like to minimize those uses wherever possible. The other thing that we, I would say that you should stay away from is any kind of animation that is unmotivated. Mm -hmm. Any kind of animation that shows up on the page without the user interacting with it or without the user actually expecting that animation to be there, we would say that that is a performative and a cognitive issue with a lot of the products that we create. We also understand that animation can be something to delight users. And that's why we go back to the idea of animation on interaction. We want that user to have that little moment of, oh, this is really cool, but we don't necessarily want to hit them over the head with motion or movement within a page. So I'm so glad you brought this up um, because we we redid our website recently and we did all the, the movement bells and whistles and we actually found that our Google rankings took a hit just because our page load speed um, was so diminished by all these all these motions and parallax or whatever you call it. So we ended up, I mean, it was a lot of work. We ended up taking it all down. Yeah, one of the things I find with um, with some of our clients is when they come to Canopy, they have a website that looks really great if you're on a high-speed internet connection, if you've got no cognitive or vision issues, the, the site looks amazing. And then you delve into their performance issues and you look at the code base and what you find is that they're there are opportunities where you can optimize these sites by pulling down some of those more resource intensive pieces, but still maintain that wonderful visual experience that a user would have. And the benefit of doing that is you then get the ability to have speech readers to access your information. You also get a bit of a, a bump in your SEO as well, because your performance isn't as low as it would if you had something that had a lot of overhead resources, or you were using things that were blocking the loading of the page. We have some clients that come to us and they we take a look at their site and their sites look gorgeous. It's beautiful. It looks like they've redesigned it recently. And then you delve a little bit deeper into the performative issues that they've got where they're Colors look great if you have full color vision spectrum, but if you're a visually impaired user um, or if you're colorblind or low or no vision, that becomes an issue. Or they have things that are moving around the page that are unsolicited. And what you find is those elements tend to become more of a distraction, even for visual users as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So let's switch gears a little bit. And I want to talk about a trend I see happening, um, not necessarily with design, but with platform. So many nonprofits are now using like Wix, and I think there might be one called Weebly. 
Um, Canva might even have like a website creator now, but it's all DIY. It's all do it yourself and it's drag and drop. It's super easy and affordable. But my question is, are we, are we biting off more than we chew when we do that? And, you know, are we creating something that's just going to need to be professionally undone down the road? So I think DIY solutions being, uh, a creative that works at an agency, I would I would want to say yes. You can certainly engage an agency to help you with that. But I think there are instances where the DIY solution is not necessarily such a bad thing as it's made out to be. If you're doing small incremental fixes to an existing product, I think there are advantages to doing that in sort of a DIY fashion. The big disadvantages to DIY are the ability to make meaningful change and understand the platform limitations that you're working on. Something like a Wix or Squarespace has beautiful, robust drag and drop interfaces. But if you need to scale that interface at an enterprise level or anything beyond an individual level, you'll start to see the limitations of that. And what happens is the amount of labor required to make the enterprise level changes tends to become so much so that it it doesn't require a lot of, it requires a lot more effort to get you where you need to be. One of the questions that I like to, to have our clients answer for us, if they are looking at a DIY solution, is we ask them three questions, which is, does this need to be done? Does this need to be done now? And does this need to be done by your internal teams? Mm -hmm. And sort of, it's a great way to determine whether a solution that is going to be more DIY is appropriate for you, whether you need to engage someone on a larger scale. Now, the flip side of that is, of course, if you're doing something at an enterprise level, it would be great to have a product that grows with you. And one of the things that we do here at Canopy is we take this approach to modular design. And what a lot of our clients are realizing is that if they come on to something like Drupal or WordPress, the editing experience in Drupal and WordPress has become so much more powerful in the most recent versions that it works a lot like the drag and drop interfaces like a Wix or Squarespace, where you don't have to invest a lot of learning. You don't have to be a programmer to actually update and build pages. You have components and modules. And one of the things that we do here at Canopy is we build in a modular fashion. And what that allows our clients to do is it empowers them to be able to create new parts of their website, to create new content areas, to create even new pages or new experiences without having to come back to a professional to say, I need you to code this thing, or I need you to make this thing for us. And I think that's where the disconnect happens is the idea that something like a Wix or Squarespace offers more flexibility than sort of a more professional product. Drupal and WordPress have amazing drag and drop interfaces that you can start to build pages really quickly with, and you don't have to invest a lot of internal learning or sort of technical knowledge to actually do those things. I love that. You get the best of both worlds. You get the expertise, but you maintain control. So if you have to make that last minute change, you actually can. Absolutely. And one of the things that's that's really important for me as someone that delivers experiences for, for nonprofits is we're cognizant of nonprofits being a little bit restricted in the budgets that they use. And we want to build a product that is going to be evergreen for them. One of the things that we find is the idea that if you had to rebuild a website in Wix 
or in Squarespace, you would you would have to tear it down and almost start over from scratch. If you use a professional product, what you get out of the box is you get something that can grow with you over time, where it's it's not six months down the road or three years down the road, you can continue to evolve your product over time. So it becomes an evergreen experience. So you can use the same site components and the same basic site, but extend it over the next five, 10, 15 years as well. So it's not a matter of tearing down the experience like you would with a Wix or Squarespace. It's just evolving the experience and you have that power with professional toolings and partners like agencies that can sort of create that foundation for you to actually work in. So long-term, it may actually save you some money. It actually is a great ROI. Um, and one of the things that's really great about these systems is once you get that infrastructure in place, evolving it doesn't require a full teardown. It just requires an evolution. You can lift, you can elevate, you can sort of take the existing product and evolve it over time. Absolutely. Okay, so... Kind of keeping with this theme, I'm thinking about a lot of our members who are associations or um, they have some sort of membership element. Some of them have um, not donation platforms, but other integrated software. And so they're forced into using kind of this out of the box platform that ties to some core element of their organization, but is not beautiful. And I'm just, this has come up like three times recently, and I'm wondering if you have any hope or solution for these organizations. So it is an interesting challenge because I think an off-the-shelf solution presents an immediate cost advantage in that it's not as, it's not as price intensive as something that would be custom built. The beauty of it is when we're looking at integrations or when we're looking at pulling something like membership or donations into a site, we look at platforms that would surface things like an API. And for those of you that don't know what an API is, an API is simply data. It's you input data and you get data out of it. And the beauty of using something like that is we can then take that data and make it seamless with your particular application. So it's not necessarily something that looks different or looks like it's Someone took a membership module and plunked it in the middle of your web page and the colors clash with your branding. We try to work with things that are flexible, that expose data as opposed to design. And then we take that data information and we design it to be seamless with your branding and your current experience. A lot of the, the platforms that we do use that if we are restricted by that design, we look for platforms that allow for robust customization when we're embedding those experiences as well. So we look at things like, for example, if you're looking at membership, we, we use something called Springboard in a lot of cases. Um, and Springboard allows for that ability to really take that experience and make it much, much more integrated. And the great thing about that is if you're using these platforms that surface data, the cost versus benefit is much, much higher than if you're buying something out of the box. And the beauty of it is they're comparable in terms of costing. So it's not like you have to outlay a lot more within your organization to get the benefits of a seamless experience, regardless of if you're using a platform or whether you're creating something custom from the ground up. Absolutely. The other one that comes up all the time is learning management systems um, like LMS. And I assume the same wisdom applies, like they need to have an open open API. They need to be something easily integrated. Yes, absolutely. And we, when, whenever we're vetting platforms for our clients, that is 
one of the the number one things that we look for is how does this integrate with our client's product and their branding? What are the areas of customization that we have? And we have to make decisions based on, on cost, obviously, but we're looking at creating seamless experience. Like I said, beautifully functional things. Um, we're, we're looking for ways to actively present a unified experience to our users rather than one that's jarring. And if a user goes to a page, it looks like a completely different site. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that those experiences are seamless across the board. Isn't that what we all want? It's true. Okay. So I want one more thing. Um, we have a segment in this program where we always ask our guests for a bit of good news for the nonprofit listeners. This could be something you see coming or you see happening already. I think there's several bits of good news for our nonprofits, which are the idea that inclusivity is becoming a priority for large organizations is a good thing for nonprofits because it allows them to showcase a lot of what nonprofits do is inclusive messaging. And the idea that bringing that to the forefront is something that I think is is started and is becoming more mature as we go forward and becoming part of every web project that we do, this idea of inclusivity. I also think one of the things that I mentioned uh, previously from a technical side, the ability to easily edit, manipulate, and evolve your site over time is great news for nonprofits because it means they don't have to take on that cost overhead of redesigning something from scratch every time they want to change something on their site. And I think the good news about it as well, too, is if we can take something that is a silver lining over the last two years of COVID is a lot of your audience is now looking at online as their primary and only way of interacting with an organization before they would be brick and mortar. There may be phone calls, but now we're finding that audiences are primarily using uh, the website or some web product to access or communicate with clients. And I think that's a great way that if you have an optimized web product, something that has beautiful, robust visuals, but great user experience as well, you can start to foster those relationships and extend them over a longer period of time, as opposed to some of the more terrestrial ways that were being done before COVID. That is great news. I love that change. Cliff, thank you so much for taking the time to be part of the program, for sharing all your insights. It's been a great interview. It's been my pleasure being here. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next time we have an opportunity to chat. I hope you found that episode beneficial. You know, we have done a lot of work on this topic um, in part due to our partnership with Firespring, who is our go-to web creator and designer. I'm going to include um, quite a few links in the podcast notes to our website with other articles on how you can create a beautiful, accessible, and fully functional website. So check that out. As always, all your free nonprofit resources can be found at nonprofithub.org. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. For more tools, tips, and techniques on fundraising, marketing, and all things nonprofit, be sure to check out nonprofithub.org. 
We hope you'll join us next week for another episode of the Good to Growth podcast on Nonprofit Hub Radio. 